This is Mark Steiner, folks. Good to have you with us here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We're about to have another conversation with Cheryl Bost, who is, uh, Cheryl Bost is the vice president of the Maryland State Education Association and former president of TAPCO, which is the Baltimore County Teachers Association. And she joins us in studio here, uh, fresh from watching the school board in their meeting, which we can talk about a bit as well. But we're here to talk about the Protect Our Schools Act, which is um, under threat at the moment. And we'll talk to her about that now. Cheryl, welcome. Good to have you back. Thank you for having me. So what is the Protect Our Schools Act? Well, the Protect Our Schools Act is really a groundbreaking piece of legislation to help us finally address achievement gaps and other items in our schools besides just testing. It will make uh, Maryland have the strongest, smartest, and most transparent accountability model. And it will finally look at other items in the school, such as class size, um, providing students guidance counselors, mental health professionals, and things that we know as educators matter and not just the end a test score. And this bill has been supported by many coalition groups, including Casa de Maryland, the NAACP, Maryland, um, ACLU, the Education Coalition. So it's really all of our grassroots coalition partners have gotten together and said it's about time that students, educators in the community have a say-so in how schools will be judged. So does it have money attached to it? The current bill at the state does not have money attached to it. What this is doing is it's setting up the framework for the state's um, Every Student Succeeds Act state plan. And that has money tied to it through the federal government, our Title I money, which is about $250 million. So this bill sets a framework for the plan, and then the state board will fill in the pieces to the plan by September and submit it for approval by the United States Department of Education to then receive that money. So I can talk about Title I in a minute. Which could, actually, let me ask you that, because Title I could be under threat, right, with this new administration in Washington, yes. D.C.? There are a lot of variables right now with um, the current uh, president and the administration and even the secretary of education. And we're concerned about that because if we're expected to turn around schools, we know that that does take some additional funding. And uh, we have more and more students here in Maryland who are living below the poverty line. And we also are concerned because of the DeVos, Secretary DeVos at the United States Department of Education. And Governor Hogan seems to be aligning with her on the privatization part. And one of the other components of this Protect Our Schools Act is it does not allow the State Board of Education to turn our schools into for-profit charters or provide vouchers. Um, It still allows local districts, if they choose to turn schools into charters, to have the same process as they do underneath the law. So this bill is trying to protect us a little bit from some of the fear we have in Washington. So a couple of questions. So the the Protect Our Schools Act passed, not quite an unfunded mandate, but it depends on Title I money, which I'll come to in a moment. But is part of the political subtext to this debate going on between you all, some of the legislators, and the governor, um, the question of privatization in charter schools, is that is that a s- subtext pushing this conversation that's not really... It is. Um, the governor has already pledged to veto this piece of legislation, which again sets the parameters for the plan that will go to the federal government. And I listened to the debate until almost midnight last night on the Senate, and they are talking about... On well, this bill? On this bill, yeah. And they were talking about, you know, well... What would happen if we turn a school into a private, you know, for-profit charter? And why can't we do these things? Across the country, those changes have not been successful. 
And we believe it's our local jurisdictions who deserve the time and the resources to turn a school around. I was in a low-performing school in Baltimore County. I was in a Title I school, 70% students, below the poverty rate, 60% mobility. And our school was going to be taken over in the mid-90s under what they called MSPAP, the first... Oh, I remember the, all that. Right, the first right. testing. And we had a newer superintendent, and he asked the state, he <clears> said, let me take care of this school. And what they did, and I was a fourth-grade teacher, they came in and they said... Was that dance or before dance? It was, it was Dr. Dr. Marcioni. It was before oh, Dr. even Marcioni. Dr. Hairston. Right, 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 right. And he, they came in, and they interviewed all the teachers, parents, community folks, and they said, what do you need to turn around this school? Well, one of the things that came out was we needed a new principal because leadership is key. And so we we received a new principal the next year. We received additional training, an additional social worker. They put a wellness center on our site so that kids didn't have to leave school. But we also got community support. A bank uh, supported a bus so the kids, if they moved out of the district, they would bus them back into our school so they could finish the year in the same classroom. Because as a fourth grade teacher, I had some students who had been in 13 schools by the time they reached fourth grade. Because poor people are forced many, for many reasons to move. They do, and they right. went from first free month to next free month as much as they possibly could. We had another company supply us with bicycles to raffle off at our parent nights to get more parents in. We went out to churches, community centers, and everything. And, Mark, the great thing about that was the system invested in what we said as educators, parents, and students. And within about five years, we reversed our achievement gap for the students who were staying in our school. And we had over 700 who were walkers. What does that mean? That means that they were below poverty. They all walked. I mean, they were the community. Most of them came from... Um, oh, they would walk to subsidi- school. They, I'm sorry, yes. Gotcha, they came gotcha. from subsidized housing. I think you were talking about a zombie movie. I wasn't I'm sure. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so it was a very needy, unstable community. And at that time in Baltimore County, it had the highest crime rate. Unfortunately, it wasn't unusual for my students to walk past a drug deal or to have the police at their their apartment until 2 o'clock in the morning. So these were daily things. But with our social worker, our our nurse, everything, we were able to treat the whole child and the whole family and turn it around. We did not have to be turned into a charter. We did not have to give vouchers. And we didn't increase our testing. We really invested in the students and what they needed. And that's what this bill does. This bill says to the state board, you are going to balance as much as you can under the federal law, academic measures, testing and things like that, with quality measures, class size, mental health supports, all those things that we as educators know get kids to the table, ready to learn, and can be successful. So what, where... The debate, the debate leave last night. The vote didn't take place last night, so, right? So, no, the, they, it passed on to a second reader with a couple of amendments last night. Um, Critical amendments? Did uh, it change things fundamentally? Not major fundamental amendments. Some of them were reporting. So instead of, for example, just reporting a one score, uh, parents will be able to see how they did on each part of the accountability plan, which is a good idea so you can see where you're succeeding. In. And, and the other part of this uh, piece of legislation is it doesn't allow the state to label schools as an A through F grade. They have to pick some other model. And it's interesting because the state board was debating that today. And many people, and we've done surveys, feel that when you label a school failing, that's detrimental to the psyche of students, parents, and everybody. 
it, students know already who live in poverty that they're living in poverty, that they're behind, that things are happening. We don't then need to you know, put a big neon sign out in the press to say your school's failing. We need to say your school's in need of improvement, and we're going to come in and we're going to do some things to improve your school um, because we know testing doesn't work. We've done testing under No Child Left Behind. We'll never test our students out of poverty. We have to do something different, and that's why this bill will create the parameters for a state plan that we think will be nationally recognized as finally getting away from testing. So, which is another part of this conversation, <laughs> deep, deep part of the conversation. But uh, so, so when you so this, when I ask the question, on, is there money? In this you said no, and the first thing that comes to mind: this is an unfunded mandate. But then you said there are two is two hundred fifty million dollars in Title One money coming to the state from the feds. Um. So how's that money being spent now, and how will that affect this bill? Right. So if we go back to No Child Left Behind and Race to the Top several years ago, there was money that came, and the federal government said, you have to do X, Y, Z to get this money. Well, the Congress came together um, before this election in in a bipartisan manner and said, the federal government isn't going to tell you what to do. You would a state decide what you're going to do. And involve the locals. There's a lot of parts of the bill that says involve parents, involve educators. So now the state, through the legislature, is setting that framework for the plan. And that's what this bill is. This bill is just saying, here, state board, is a framework for the plan that you're going to submit to get the money. And so that framework says you're not going to privatize, you're not going to voucher. But the other part says you're going to look at things other than testing. Testing is a key part, and it has to be the majority. Right now they're looking at testing would make up 65% of 100% score, and these other factors would make up 35% of that score. If this bill passes, which we hope that it does, then the state board will work from April through September to fill in that framework meeting. With that $250 million. In order to get the $250 million. So they'll fill in the framework pass it to the United States Department of Education. Hopefully, the United States Department of Education says, you're approved, here's your $250 million. So, and this money would then most likely go to places in Baltimore City, Baltimore County, Wicomico, Garrett, places where the poorest communities are, where people really, where we need schools that can have real wraparound services. Right, so, so some, some of this money will be spread out throughout the state um, for services for, um, you know, professional development for educators, for certification, a lot of variety. 7% of the Title I money will go to our lowest 5% Title I schools. So once they're identified, the lowest 5% will get some of the the money that's set aside. Um, schools that don't graduate 67% of their students, they'll also be able to get some of that 7% high, um, set aside and any English language learners that are failing to, you know, uh, succeed, they'll also get some of that money. So, yes, $250 million will come back. It'll be spread out. Um, we saw under Race to the Top, though, that $250 million goes very quick, <laughs> especially when we're in a technology age and everything. So we will, again, be looking at funding with Kerwin uh, Commission next year, the state commission. Was to that look in December? At the- uh, they they give their report next year, right. then in December, yes. In December. So w- do you have the votes to override the veto? Well, today in the Senate, um, it, it passed with a, a 32 votes, 
which would override a veto. It'll now confer with the House, and we're hoping between the two of them we absolutely can override a veto because it would be disappointing for our governor to put us backwards into this testing, over-testing mindset and put us into the DeVos privatization mode. Instead, the coalition has gotten together and said, we want to move forward and really address the needs of our students, not bureaucracy. So though, though if, if it would mean, though, if he vetoed it, he said he's going to veto it. So if he vetoes it, that means it really can't go. If it's overridden, that's not until next January, right? It depends on when the bill gets passed, and it could be um, overridden the veto still while they're in session this year. But strategically, he could say, I'm not, I, I'll veto this later. Um, he has a certain period of time of which he needs to either approve the law, let it go into um, law, or um, veto it. Yeah, but what, I mean, what I'm trying to say and is— It could it's, happen put, this year. Yeah, it could, but he could also maneuver it. He so, could. So that it would wait till January, which means that you'd have to wait till next spring or next year after the veto to begin the process— of figuring out how this is going to be fleshed out. Right, which would be unfortunate because the plan has to be put in in September. So that's why we're looking to do it during this session. And we're hoping the governor will come on board and see that the state board still has a voice in this, the local school systems have a voice in this, that this is just setting a framework so that we don't fall into um, where we were with No Child Left Behind or a privatization model like the Secretary DeVos has put forth. So when do you think you will understand the bottom line? Sometime It has to be sometime in the next few days, We're right? hoping in the next couple of days we'll know, and it'll be on the governor's desk. And we're asking everyone to call him, call legislators, and ask them to support the Protect Our Schools Act. Any special numbers you want to give out? Oh, the numbers are one eight 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 five two zero. 6732, or you can go to protectmdschools.com, protectmarylandschools.com. No, that's great. That's, that's So I so um, this is important. So, so you are now, we're in the middle of this conversation. This is, we're taping this on Tuesday, and you're hearing it today on Wednesday. Um, and we have a couple of days to get this done in Maryland. And we're hoping by the time you hear this, it's going to be on the governor's desk, and we can ask him to sign it. Cheryl Bost is vice president of the Maryland State Education Association. Before that, she was president of TAPCO, which is the Teachers Association of Baltimore County. And Cheryl, it's always a pleasure to have you in studio. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We have to take a brief break, but don't go away. When we come back, we'll have two conversations based on this issue of the city paper. First, we talk with city councilperson Ryan Dorsey, who wrote a piece in this issue on the police budget, his third councilmatic district, and what it means for the entire city. It's really illuminating and forward-thinking. And then producer Armani Spence sits down with the city paper, Lisa Snowden McRae, for an overview. Before we get to all of that and our break, I want to remind you the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, who is a proud partner for the 12th year with the Baltimore Cash Campaign for Money Power Day on Saturday, April the 1st at Poly Western at Cold Spring and Falls Road from 9 to 3 p.m. Money Power Day is the region's biggest financial fitness fair. Everyone's welcome to show up. Congressman Elijah Cummings will kick off the day. More information at moneypowerday.org. 